I remember the first person that I talked to, Emma Ladson, when I called her and told her what I was calling her about. And she's, she said, I've been waiting for you to call me for years. I've been waiting for somebody to reach out to me about this for years. What took you so long? And that, you know, I, that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I said, I, I, you could tell that she was kind of bitter because she had been dealing with this, her, you know, it was her family home that she grew up in that was sold. And then she, for, she was put out on the street and had to live in a homeless shelter. Hi, I'm Robert Cribb, director of the Investigative Journalism Bureau. We're a nonprofit newsroom based out of the Dalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. And this is Heliograph, a podcast examining powerful investigative work done by reporters around the globe. In the literal sense, a heliograph is a device used to photograph the sun. We chose the name because this podcast seeks to capture the brilliance, truth, and light of investigative journalism that's changing the world. We'll examine the stories behind the stories, the lessons learned, and the secrets of some of the world's top journalists. In doing so, we hope to build a playbook for investigative journalism excellence. There's much to explore, and it matters more now than ever. Join us. Hello, I'm Norma Hilton. And I'm Alina Snisarenko. This month, we talked to Miami reporters Daniel Rivero and Joshua Ceballos on their investigative series, Unguarded. A three-month investigation that revealed a government-funded program in Florida sold homes for cheap to businesses and individuals that have ties to Miami's city attorney. Now, Miami's national public radio station, WLRN, posted this investigation. And this is what really prompted the response from officials down in Miami-Dade County. My name is Joshua Ceballos. Uh, I'm the local government accountability reporter for WLRN News in Miami. I'm Danny Rivero. I'm a reporter and producer and radio show host here at WLRN Public Radio. The series looked into the Miami-Dade Guardianship Program, which cares for people the courts have deemed incapacitated. As a nonprofit that receives financial assistance from the state and local county, it can take control of assets like cars and homes and sell them to fund future care and living expenses. But what we found is that nonprofit was selling the homes of these incapacitated people to the same realtor and the same family and network of realtors over and over again over a period of 10 years um, for very low, low prices. And that company or those companies would then resell those homes for much higher. And the profits that they made on that did not go towards the care of the incapacitated people that the nonprofit was supposed to take care of. Unguarded as a series, I think, tackles what happens to some of the most vulnerable people in society, people that can't fend for themselves or care for themselves. And third parties are entrusted with taking care of their assets and their care. What the series is about is exploring if all those decisions are actually made in that person's best interest or if profit motives are coming into it. 
And it's a really great in-depth series. So congratulations on this series. Um, Thank you. What, what first pushed you to pursue this story? This story came really, the start of it came from a tip. It was um, someone who was somewhat in the know, someone who heard whisperings and rumblings that there might be something to look at here, but who didn't have the investigative capacity or capability to look into it themselves. But it was essentially a phone call. And I was told, hey, there seems to be something happening here. I looked into it a little bit and I can't make sense of it. Maybe you can. And it was like one of those classic onion scenarios where the, the deeper you get into it, the more layers of the onion start revealing themselves. And then at some point we realize, oh, this is not just a small thing with just a few properties. This seems to be a pattern, like a real pattern across dozens of cases that we can point to. And w one of the details that really drove us and, and particularly drove me in my capacity as, as a local government reporter is that one of the parties involved in this through family connections is the city attorney of the city of Miami, which is the largest municipality in uh, Miami-Dade County, which we cover. Uh, her name is Victoria Mendez and, and her husband is the, the one who uh, owns one of the companies that's one of the main drivers in this um, pattern that we found. New at 6, the Miami City Attorney responded to CBS 4 News. Our crews approached her about a lawsuit. It's alleging that she and her husband enriched themselves through a real estate scheme. In their reporting, Ceballos and Rivero found that Mendez's husband, Carlos Morales, was getting liens in the tens of thousands removed by Miami's Code Enforcement Board. A lien is the legal right to possess another's property until a debt is repaid. And that kind of raised some alarms for us since his wife was one of the most powerful people in the city. And as you as you began to pursue this story and, and as you said, Daniel, like peel the onion, dig in deeper. What was a like a pivotal moment for you where you it was a document or finding or something that occurred during the investigative process where you kind of went, OK, whoa, we've got like a big story here. This is this is important to share. I think that moment came when we were along the lines of, of confirming about a dozen or so cases. And, you know, we started a, like a classic board. And, um, you know, we had like post-its and we were like posting the names of this property, what happened to it. And then we started drawing lines between common characters and whatnot. And then, you know, as there ended up being more and more lines and connections being drawn and then we came we came across one of the attorneys that handled a bunch of these transactions who's actually the current mayor of the city of miami it started raising questions of like okay the mayor was involved in this back when back in the day when he cast the the vote to put her into office and he was doing business with her husband it was that was a moment where i think josh and i both realized Oh, there's this. This is potentially a bombshell here. Like there, there's something here. And another thing was also when we found um, Sergio Mendez. According to their reporting, Mendez was the president of the Guardianship Program. The program's website says he currently sits on the board of directors. The investigation found a connection between Mendez and Express Homes, a 
company that was involved in some of the real estate transactions. Though they have the same last name, Sergio Mendez and the city attorney Victoria Mendez are not related. After Express Homes would buy a property from the guardianship program of Dade County, and then they'd sell it later for much more, um, Sergio Mendez was then working as the as the attorney to like sign off on the legal documents. So he was making money off of that. That was another moment where we were like, this is this is not a or likely not appropriate, and something is something is deeper is going on. And when we saw his name repeatedly come up, that's when we started looking at it and saying, well, it does look like somebody knows something because the same person is involved in various parts of these transactions. There's no way that this is just a chance. So it's like, no, these people know each other. They do business with each other outside of this relationship with a nonprofit. And so you have this whole like web of connections and this involves some pretty high profile individuals. So when you were looking into this and you really started going into the connections that they have with each other, what was going through your mind? Were you, were you nervous at all? Danny and I both come from, from like investigative backgrounds. We both like investigations. So if anything, we were excited, <laughs> you know, we were, uh, as more stuff started come up, we were getting really hype about it. We're like, yes, yes. We're getting more info. This is like really, um, worth a story. I mean, there was a, a few, I think there were maybe a few moments where we might've asked, like, are we right? Like, is this really something that's, that's a big deal or is this something that's normal? And we would reach out to third parties and be like, is this normal? And they would say, no, it's not. And we're like, okay, okay, we're on to something. So I think more than trepidation, it was excitement to get this story out there and to, and to inform people. Both Josh and I have reported on people that don't want to be reported on. It's just part of the job. I mean, if you come to terms with that, then you can do this work. But what, what really gives you a leg to stand on is we had the records. Like this is stuff in black and white like we knew that we had the information. So we were just excited about like, all right, like, let's do it. Cause you get so deep into a project like this. It's like you get tunnel vision and you start wondering like, is anyone else going to really understand what we're saying? Like, do we have too much information? <laughs> but uh, uh, so something to me that was, that was very exciting actually is cause we, we had a lawyer go over this before we published because it's like really sensitive, you know? Um, so we had an attorney go over it, crossing all our T's, dotting the I's, make sure we have all the documentation for everything. We provided everything. And at the end of the first or the second edit, I remember her, her saying, like, you guys, you guys got this. Like, this is, uh, this is a wild story. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, this is a crazy one. This is a crazy one. You guys did really good work. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but something that an old editor told me, and I think is good advice for anybody, is that when you publish a story, you want to make sure that you can look the person in the eye, like the person that you're writing about, be able to look them in the eye afterwards and, and be confident about that and, and let them, you know, let them read it. You know, I still see the city attorney all the time, and she doesn't necessarily uh, talk to me one on one. But, you know, I can I, I have to see her all the time. And so I'm not going to do something that's going to you know, cast cast me or Danny or our reporting as, as a villain. We're just going to do the right thing in a way that's fair. Well, 
Over the course of their reporting, Ceballos and Rivero reviewed guardianship cases from the probate court. Florida prohibits these cases from being published online, and the court charged the reporters a hefty price for accessing the records. They were told it would cost them a dollar a page to review the files. It's too expensive. <laughs> a dollar a page is ridiculous. And that was really frustrating. I think it, investigative journalism is not cheap. It's not cheap. But if we didn't have all these records, we wouldn't have been able to, to tell the story. Also, getting records is the is also the exciting part, I think, for me, like being able to go to the courthouse and just be like, yeah, we want these records. And, and you know, I think it was, it was the probate division. So these the, the clerks were very curious, like, why? Why do you want these records? Like, who are you? We're reporters. Like, are you not family of the of the deceased? No, but we have we have a right to these records. Like, oh, you know, some of this information is yes, we know that some of this information is private and you can redact it as much as you need to but we have a right to these records and being able to do that with the knowledge of, you know, our laws and, and the rights of journalists um, was really empowering and really cool. You know, for me, it's, it's like a movie. Yeah. I felt like it was one of those things that the deeper into it, the more familiar we got with what the records look like, the more specific we could be. But at the beginning, it was like, give me everything on that one case. And it was like 300 pages. And out yeah. of those 300 pages, we only needed five. <laughs> so yeah. then the next time we come around it's like okay I want these five pages for the next case it's hard for me even in my mind to like recreate how much digging I did like I did so much just fishing around trying to find these cases. Ceballos and Rivero didn't expect Unguarded to turn into a three-part series. When we released the first piece I have never felt the impact of, of a piece of investigative journalism as quickly as it happened in this piece. Like we released this thing, it aired on the radio, like a 15 minute audio version. That morning there was a county commission meeting which actually funds this nonprofit. And in the middle of that meeting, which started like an hour after it aired, one of the commissioners just starts talking about it. She's like, by the way, guys, did you guys hear this radio story? We need to address this right now. And it was like immediate. So then, the mayor responded. They said, OK, we're going to like cut the funding to this program until we investigate and we know what's going on. And um, it was like a very immediate impact that we had. And like you could I could feel it, you know, having all these real world impacts. And it was just like I've never seen an impact of a story so quickly. It was very gratifying. And with that, we started getting other phone calls and people contacting us and saying like, hey, like you need to talk to me or like this happened to my neighbor or like, you know, things from other parts of the state that had nothing to do with this particular thing. But we started hearing from a lot of people. Something that's important for, for any story is the human impact. So we found some living family members of, of people who had their homes uh, sold uh, by the guardianship program. I remember the first person that I talked to, Emma Ladson, when I called her and told her what I was calling her about. And she's, she said, I've been waiting for you to call me for years. I've been waiting for somebody to reach out to me about this for years. What took you so long? And I, you know, I, that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I said, I, I, you could tell that she was kind of bitter because she had been dealing with this her 
you know, it was her family home that she grew up in that was sold. And then she for she was put out on the street and had to live in a homeless shelter um, after the, the guardianship program sold her house. And so she was kind of bitter that no one else had, had reached out about this. But I, I just told her, you know, we're here now. Um, and then after the story came out, there was just such a relief from her that people knew about this now. And uh, just just being able to tell these stories, these people just want to have their stories out in the sunlight. Um, and I think that was that was a really good impact for me personally to see that happen. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with with Josh, I mean, the the personal stories and like just really getting a feeling of what it meant for people, you know, I mean, they were describing like they lost family photos, they lost like family heirlooms and things that they, they thought what they would always carry with them. And just like the amount of human loss that that feels like on top of, you know, the monetary value of a house or like just literally losing a house. The County Inspector General did open an investigation into the guardianship program. At the time of recording this episode, the findings have not been made public. And now we can talk about it in a, in a fact-based way, because it was all kind of happening behind closed doors and nobody... It was one of those things that government funds and then everyone just forgets about it, and nobody was, was actually being critical of it. Part of our goal with this podcast is to build a playbook on excellence in investigative journalism. At the end of every interview, we ask reporters to reflect on the larger wisdom and insight gained from these stories and how it's shaped their work. One of the lessons that came out of this is something that I think I could have done a better job of um, that, you know, I feel a little bit, I feel regretful about and, and I want to do better in the future is just um, working a little bit harder to speak to the subjects in a story. Um, so it, you know, it's very easy to just send an email or leave uh, or send a text or a voicemail and say, "Hey, I'm writing about you, and these are my questions. If you could answer them, that kind of immediately puts somebody on guard, and then they're not going to speak to you uh, most likely, or they're going to send you a boilerplate response. And when the story is out, then they're going to be angry at you." So I think I could have done a better job personally of trying to reach out to the people involved and like really stressing, like, I really think it's important that you and I sit down together and really talk about this because I want to make sure that we're getting your side because, you know, everybody's a human being. Everybody deserves um, the right to defend themselves and everybody deserves the right to explain themselves. Um, and you, no matter, no matter who it is and what the story entails. I mean, the other, another thing, particularly like with the court documents, it made me it made me care a little bit more and like become a little bit more of an advocate in some ways, like about public records access. Like, you know, we're journalists, like you're not supposed to be an advocate, but it's like not really like we, we are able to advocate for ourselves, you know, like free speech, government transparency, like we we need to be comfortable advocating for those things, because without that, we can't do our jobs. You know what I mean? I think we we touched on what we wanted to ask, but I'm wondering if uh, you guys have anything you want to share. Maybe we didn't ask you that you'd like to talk about. Classic journalist question. <laughs> um, 
where I would say like where there's where there's smoke, there's fire. And if you think if you start hearing something and you think that maybe it could be a story, maybe it could be an investigation, try and look for the wider scope as much as you can, because um, it could be it, you could easily fall into like, oh, we're just going to focus on this one instance, like this one property. Um, but when you start taking a step back and thinking, OK, how many other times has this happened? And then you start to see the scope of what we found where there was, you know, dozens of these properties, um, then it becomes a much better and more impactful story. So always look for an opportunity to um, broaden your scope and um, find patterns. Yeah, and, and another thing I think is worth talking about is like governments are good at passing laws and doing things in the moment, but like once something becomes institutionalized, everyone's eyes and attention turns away and a lot of times the government is doing things and funding things that people have no idea about because nobody's paying attention anymore like in this case they started funding this program 40 years ago and then it just became a line item in the budget that's kind of like a common thread it's like okay 10 years ago the government decided to create this program what happened with it like, what are they actually doing? Thanks for listening. I'm Alina Snisarenko. And I'm Norma Hilton. Heliograph celebrates and amplifies reporting that creates meaningful change. It reflects the Investigative Journalism Bureau's core values of collaborative and innovative storytelling in the public interest. The IJB is an award-winning nonprofit newsroom. Learn more about our projects and how you can support this work at ijb.utoronto.ca.